Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Berean Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. But if I were to tell you this morning that you could buy a Volkswagen Beetle, I've never bought a Volkswagen, I don't, I've never owned a Volkswagen, but um, if I told you you could buy a Volkswagen Beetle for 19.99, what would you think? That is 1,000, no, brand new, for 1,999 dollars. Not 19,000, 1,900. What would you think? Are you guys be interested? Could you could you guys handle that, young people? Maybe. That was the 1962 price. I got to some some authority here. And I have, I actually remember, I was in car shopping in 1962. I was bike riding, but um, uh, I do happen to remember, I remember seeing those ads, 1999 as in $1,999 for a brand new car. Of course, you were probably making $1.25 an hour then too, Rich, you know, plus tips, yeah, okay. If I told you that that was available, you, you, something, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And this morning we're going to uh, look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Kings chapter 7, where we're going to see an astounding prediction and offer uh, by the prophet Elisha. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 7. And before we uh, look into God's Word, let's have a word of prayer together, could we please? Our Heavenly Father, um, humbly now we, we worship you. Uh, we love you. Uh, you have been such, uh, you're so good to us. And you've given us your word. And we pray now, Lord, as we open it once again, that we would never uh, take it lightly. We know that uh, this day, too, Lord, has been set aside by many to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted. Uh, we have uh, family members in the, in the family of God who today uh, meet in, in, or have met even in great danger. Do not have the word of God. And Lord, we, we pray for them today. We pray for courage and, and boldness. We pray for just strength and stamina. And Lord, uh, we just pray that somehow you will uh, just, uh, through your Holy Spirit, remind them that uh, they are part of our family and we are praying for them today. And we pray now as we open your word. May we not take it lightly. Might we live by it. Might we believe it as we worship and love you. In Christ's name, amen. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And I, you know, I, when I started this series on Elijah last August, this, this, this past August, I actually hadn't intended to go this long in this series, but um, I, I've, I've enjoyed it. I don't know if you ever know, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I've enjoyed this, pat, this part of Scripture. I've never preached in this part of Scripture. And uh, we kind of transitioned from Elijah into Elisha. And uh, I kind of pulled a fast one on you, didn't even tell you that. We're doing a series on Elisha as well. And, uh, but I've just been really uh, enthralled with this passage of Scripture. And it, it, there's just, it's, there are such great stories and Bible lessons. And I use that word carefully, stories, because I'm not talking about fiction. I'm, I'm talking about Hebrew literature that is well-written, that the author was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So while it is a story, it is God's story. 
understand of our view of inspiration, God used these uh, human beings, used their personal character, their context, their culture, their language, their idioms, and what, what he produced, what, he, what the end result was that every word is, we believe is what God wanted us to have. We believe in the full inspiration of Scripture. And these are, these are wonderful lessons, wonderful stories, so, so well written and, and, and really um, so much to say. And so that's why we are going to take a few more weeks and finish the series from Elijah and Elisha. And in verse 1, Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This is, the, this is the prophetic utterance that this is the word of the Lord. This is God's word, not just my word. This is what he says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of the heavens, could this happen? You will see it with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you will not eat any of it. Now as we read this, you know, these, these uh, quantities and these measurements don't mean a lot to us. You can still have shekels in Israel today, but of course it's a whole different, you know, value. You probably have, if you have a reference Bible, you probably have some footnotes in your Bible as, as to what this means, how much a shekel is worth, how, what a sia is, um, and so forth. I'm just, let me just put it in the big picture for you. What Elisha is saying is, uh, tomorrow, uh, those Volkswagen bugs will be $1,900. <laughs> Not 19000 but 1900 What he What he is saying is, listen, tomorrow... This measurement of food is going to be so cheap, so inexpensive, you won't believe it. And they didn't. And the reason they didn't is because in this context, last week we looked at 2 Kings chapter 6. And we saw this uh, wonderful lesson of, of the, uh, the angelic army of horses and chariots that surrounded Elisha and his servant and the, and the, and the Syrian army. Um, that was led captive and then sent away. But afterward, verse 24 of chapter 6, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, again the Syrians, mobilized his entire army, marched up and laid siege to Samaria. Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten northern tribes. This is the capital city. This is where the king lives. This is where they have their own temple and so forth. There was, verse 25, a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head, which the Jews would not normally eat, a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter a cab of seed pods for five shekels. This, this siege is, is so intense and this famine is so great there is no food. We've already seen this, right, with the story of Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah before the contest with the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel? There is no food. People are starving. In fact, you can read it on yourself. Uh, the rest of the, the next paragraph, um, they actually had practiced cannibalism, eating their own children. This is pretty desperate. 
I don't need to tell you that. You know, we know the stories of the Donner Party and so on, the history of our country. This is so desperate. God's people have resorted to this. This is the same people that God promised, if you will obey me, if you would just obey me, I promise you, you will never be hungry. You will not have diseases. You will always bear children. You will always defeat your enemies if you just obey me. But if you don't, if you, if you don't, you will be cursed. And you will suffer terrible things. And this is one of those results of their disobedience to God. Their refusal, these kings, especially in the leaders of Israel, over and over and over again, refusing to obey God. And things have sunk so low that this famine is just absolutely desperate. And of course, as is usual in these stories, who gets the blame? Huh? Who gets the blame? Elisha. He, it's his fault. He's the one who's doing this. He's the one who's plagued the people. He's the one who speaks for God. And so in verse 31, the king, the king of Israel says, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. I am going to cut his head off. This man has caused so much trouble. I am getting rid of this prophet of God. And then the rest of the chapter recounts accounts of the, the, the servants from the king coming, Elisha closing the door, and the messengers coming. And, and, and finally we come to chapter 7. And Elisha says, Elisha says, okay, listen, tomorrow famine's over. Famine's over. Not only will it be over, food will be so abundant, you have never seen prices this low. A loaf of bread for a dime, a meal out, for 50 cents. You've never seen it. Some of you have seen that. Maybe you here remember loaf of bread for a dime? Yeah, you're not going to raise your hand because you're going to say, oh, I'm over. You're not that old barb. <laughs> you remember. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. Ten cents. You know, I kind of remember loaf for 20 to 25 cents a loaf. Yeah. So I'm not that. I'm not old at all. Anyway, so, so Elisha, hear the word of the Lord. The officer says, no way. Elisha, no, you're lying. And notice what Elisha says. I want you to remember this. This is important. Elisha says, okay, servant, you will see it, but you won't eat any of it. And then we come to this part of the story that's just so interesting. (laughs) Verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. Now what you know from the Old Testament, you know that leprosy, Anybody who had leprosy, and, and the word leprosy can also stand for a, a multitude of skin diseases. Full-blown, full you know, I think probably the best representation I've seen, in, like in movies and stuff, of leprosy is, is the old movie Ben-Hur. You know, that leper colony where, where they live and, and the situation they're in. Um, it, for someone who had full-blown leprosy, it was incurable, it would kill you, and you were a complete outcast. Not just socially, but in terms of God's law to, to Israel. You were an outcast. You could not come in the gates of the city. You were not allowed to be with your family. You were not allowed within a distance of the gate of the city. You were an outcast because you were unclean. You had a, a skin disease, and the only way you could ever come back is if that leprosy was healed, as the Lord Jesus Christ healed the leper. And remember he said to them, go what? Show yourself to the priest. Because the priest had to look at it and declare ceremonially, you are clean, you have to wash, you have to do this, and after you go through all these steps, you are allowed back. 
in society. You are allowed back. They were outcasts. They were the ultimate outcasts. Now these four men were at the entrance to Samaria. They are outside the gate of the city. And so they begin talking and they say to each other, why stay here until we die? You know, we're just going to sit here. I mean, if nobody else has food, the king doesn't even have food. You can bet the lepers have nothing to eat. And they say, we're going to die. Why stay here? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there. We could sneak into the city even though we're not welcome. But there's no food there and we'll die. If we stay here, we will die. So we're going to die either way. I mean, it's a lose-lose situation. No matter what, we're going to die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. But, but, they, but they say, we're going to die anyway. So we have nothing to lose. So let's go over to the Aramaeans' camp and see if they'll accept us. Odds are they won't. But why would they? Why would they? But what else are we going to do? So at dusk, at dusk, not dawn, at dusk, they got up. They went to the camp of the Arameans. They reached the edge of the camp. Not a man was there. The camp was empty. The, the battle camp. This was the army camp. Thousands and thousands of soldiers in his army. His whole army of Ben-Hadad. But there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses. And a great army. And they said to one another, that is the Arameans, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. And they got up. And they fled in the dusk, and they abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was, and, and the Hebrew is very clear here. They, they ran for their souls. They ran for their lives. You know, in the previous chapter, remember, we, there was an army of, of horses and chariots, angelic, that surrounded the hill. And Elisha told his servant, you know, God, ask God to open his eyes so he can see, and he saw this army. Is it possible this, this is the army they heard? All of a sudden, Elisha's servant could see them. All of a sudden, the Arameans could hear them. And they could hear the sound of these chariots and horses, and the horses snorting, and the, and the chariots rattling, and the soldiers and the army coming. And it's night, and, and it's getting dusk, and they hear this sound, and they just panic, and they just run. And we'll see later on in this passage, they, they panicked, and they, and they left in such a hurry that they, they, that they abandoned, they abandoned, we see in verse 15, their clothing, their equipment, even threw their weapons down. They just ran as fast as they could run. And one of the commentators in the Hebrew text says that the implication here is, while they are running out the back door for the fear of their lives, in verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of their camp, and they entered one of the tents, and they ate, and they drank, and they carried away silver, gold, and clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned, and they entered another tent, and they took some things from it, and they hid them. I mean, you know, you've heard, the per, you know, someone says, you know, I, I felt I died and went to heaven, you know. I mean, as, as the Syrian army is leaving the back door and clearing out, these guys are coming in the front door, and they walk in, and, you know, the pots are still cooking. You know, the coffee's still boiling, the, the food is still there, and, and the clothing, and gold, and silver, and the various spoils of war that the, this Syrian army had collected along with them. Can you imagine? I mean, 
you know, again, this, this, is, this is good, inspired Hebrew literature. There is a touch of comedy here, if you, right? I mean, is this a little bit comical? Don't, can you imagine this? These, these four lepers coming in, and can you imagine a look on their face? I wish I thought, where's Casey? Casey, what I should have done, I should have had you and a couple of your friends from the Krista Improv, right? I've seen them, and they're good. I should have had them come today and had you read the script and do this for us. This would have been fun, wouldn't it? This would be a great story. That would be great. Um, can you imagine their faces? Right, Casey? <laughs> I mean, here's this, here's this camp of everything. And they start eating. And they taste everything. And they drink and they eat and they, and they pick up the gold. These are lepers. These are outcasts. These people have no friends. Nobody will touch them. Nobody will come near them. You know, remember the, the, the saying that when they came near, they had to cry out, leper, leper, so that you wouldn't be near them. They, that's what they had to do. They were complete bottom dregs of society. And here, everything, food, wealth, silver, gold, everything for free, for free. And they start taking it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. They're not stealing because this is an enemy camp. And in, in, in this culture, when, when one enemy conquers another enemy, you have the right to the spoils of war. That's probably what they were getting were spoils of war. This was not illegal. They are not stealing. They are Israelites. These are enemies. They deserve it. They, took, they take it. And they bury it. And they go and get more. And they hide it. And it's like it's like... What do you, you know, it's, it's Christmas morning for a six-year-old, you know. These are lepers. And look what these men say. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This isn't good. This is a day of good news. And we are keeping it to ourselves. Don't you love that? Isn't that great? These lepers, who they don't owe anybody anything. They would have every reason imaginable to be selfish. No one's doing anything for them. They're outcasts. They're outcasts. And they stop and say, this isn't good. This is not good. We are really being selfish. This is a day of good news. The enemy's gone. The siege is lifted. Food will be available. We can go out and get crops. We can take their food. This is good news. And we're keeping this to ourselves. We're hoarding it to ourselves. We're being selfish. But this is a day of good news. You know, in the, in, the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew was like the working Bible in the first century. When the apostles, like Paul, when he quotes Scripture, most of the time he quotes from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. The people in Jesus' day spoke Aramaic, which was a form of Hebrew. And in your Greek New Testament, what, do you, what word do you think that is? What, do you think, what Greek word do you think that is that, we've, that we are familiar with? This is the day of good news. What word? Gospel. Or evangelism. Evangel. The word evangel. The word evangel, which we get our word gospel from, is the Greek word for good news. 
So when the, when the angel spoke to the shepherds and told them that this, I bring you tidings of great news. During the gospel story, when people were told this is good news, you read it in the Bible, it was written in Greek, but it was spoken in Aramaic, it would be the same word that's used here. This is a day of good news. This is a Yom day of good news. Day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. We can't do this. We can't do this. And notice what else they say. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. So there's a combination here. There's a combination of remorse, conscience, that says, this is not right. This is not right. This belongs to everybody, and, and we have to go tell them. And there is also an accountability issue. Because what they're saying is, you know, we're going to be found out if we do this. <laughs> Someone's going to find out, and we're going to have to give account for this. Why didn't you come and tell us? Why did you take this stuff without telling us? So it's a combination here. And so, so they go. They leave everything. You know, they have, there's no guarantee that a king is going to let them come back and eat some more food. They're outcasts. They're lepers. But they go. And in verse 10, they went and they called to the city gatekeepers. You know why they called to them? They couldn't go in the gate. <laughs> They're lepers. So they have to stand outside and the gate's back there by the back door and they have to call out, Hey! They're gone. We beat them. No. <laughs> they're, they're gone. They're gone. It's empty. There's food. There's wealth. The enemy's gone. And they cry out to the gate. And the king says, no, it's a trick. The Arameans know we're starving. They've abandoned that camp. We go in that camp. They're going to come right back and capture us. And these lepers are standing there. No. They are gone. So finally, someone steps forward, one of his soldiers in verse 13, and said, listen, take five of the horses that are left in the city. They're, we're going to die anyway. Take five of them. Take them in there and find out. So verse 14, they selected two chariots with their horses and the king, and they sent them after the Arameans, and they found out. They got there. The place was empty. The road was strewn with weapons and clothing and articles. They had left in such haste. They went back. They told the people, and the people went out, verse 16, they plundered the camp of the Arameans, and a sea of flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. The king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gateway and he died just as the man of God had foretold. And then he recounts this whole story. He says, remember, you didn't believe God's word. You said we were lying. And I told you, you will see it, but you will not taste of it. And that man was in charge of the gate. And he, he was in charge of letting everybody come in and eat. And there was such a rush, they trampled him and he died. And he never had a bite of that food. It's a wonderful story. I mean, it depends what side you're on, I guess. 
It's an amazing story. And I just, I couldn't help but thinking about, I would love to see the look on those four lepers' faces when they walked in that camp and realized, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's all here. And it's ours. And then that, that, that conscience that said, no, 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 no. This is good news. We must share with everybody. Now, you know where I'm going to go with this in closing. I'm going to unabashedly devotionalize on this passage of Scripture. Now, i just take three things home with you. Can you turn to 2 Corinthians for a minute, Paul's epistle to, to the Corinthian church? And every passage we're going to look at is going to be in 2 Corinthians. It's one of my favorite Pauline books. It's an amazing book, 2 Corinthians. Written to a group of people so much like the church in all ages in so many ways. It's a day of good news. And how often we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded of this, this is good news, friends. It's called the gospel. It is good news. I know it's sometimes hard to share. None of us like to be rejected. None of us like to be made fun of. None of us like to be ridiculed. And at the same time, we know this is the best news ever. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. We're jumping into a context here. And the context has to do with Moses putting a veil over his face when he came down from Mount Sinai. His face was so bright from being in God's presence. They said, Moses, you're blinding us. Cover your, cover your face. And Paul tells us he also covered his face so they couldn't see the, the, the light fade away. That's another study for another day. The Lord is a spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom is good news. Amen? Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from the bondage of fear. Freedom from rejection. Freedom that God loves you. And you can be part of God's family. You can be part of His church, the body of Christ. No, not just our church, although we'd love to have you be part of our church. And we're going to have membership classes this winter if any of you are interested in joining our church. But that doesn't make you a Christian. You have freedom from having to answer for your sins before God in terms of judgment and punishment. In terms of eternal punishment, you are forgiven. You are forgiven of everything. Paul tells us that in Ephesians and Colossians. As you have been forgiven, you forgive others. You are free to have God as your Father. Not a fearful Father, but a Father who loves you. Yes, a a Father we have reverence for and, and reverential fear. But not terror. He is your Father. You have freedom from the bondage of, of, of sin. You have the ability by the Holy Spirit's power to, to break that bondage that, that sin has over you. Not that you're going to live free of sin. We don't teach sinless perfection at our church. Freedom 
is a wonderful thing. And Paul says where the, where the Lord is, the Spirit is, and that there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces, verse 18, all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Friends, this is good news. Chapter 4, the next chapter, in verse 3, and I'm thinking about these four lepers. The Apostle Paul, again, using talking about this idea of veiled, of, of covering. And Paul says, if even if our gospel is veiled, covered, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That is not good news. Judgment, eternal, perishing is not good news. And Paul says, if our good news, our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Listen, look at this good news. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Friends, this is good news. Amen? Amen? The light of God's glory in our hearts. Us. Why us? Why you? Why me? I'll be the first to, to admit I don't deserve it. I have no right to have God's glory in my heart and for God to shine through me to others. And Paul says, listen, if we cover it up, if we do our best to, if we come and live a Sunday Christian life and the rest of the week we're, we're busy covering up the, the light of the glory, it's, we're covering it up to those who are perishing. And the Holy Spirit is working in their heart to open their hearts and let the light shine out of darkness. This is good news. Chapter 5 and verse 17, this whole section of Scripture, this is all about reconciliation and good news and salvation these people in the city of Corinth, this city that was so much like Seattle, it's a port city. It's a city that is that is that is 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 full of all sorts of people groups and ethnicities and cultures and religions, like all port cities are of commerce and trade. This is a port city like Seattle, where this church is, where they have become believers in Jesus Christ and have received the Holy Spirit and have the light of the gospel in their lives. And he's asking them, don't hide it. Let it shine. And in chapter 5, and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's Sins against them. This is good news. That when I stand before God, as I will someday, and in my frailty, in my human condition, I stand before God, and, and the only reason I'm going to be allowed into God's eternal and glorious heaven is because of Jesus Christ. 
because he paid for my sins on the cross of Calvary. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I've tried to be good, not because I've never killed anybody. You know, the things we always hear, I try my best. It's because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for my sins. And Paul says, this is good news that God is not going to count. Jim, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's only day one, you know. Your sins against you, your pride, your arrogance. Not going to count it against you. We are free. And we are fully forgiven. I am a new creation. I am not half old and half new. I am a new creation. Listen, friends, this is good news. And I just want to challenge you today when you think about these four lepers. It's easy for us, it's easy for me, of all people. I mean, it's the easiest for me, because I stand here in the pulpit and preach this word, and you expect me to share the gospel. You expect me to tell you this good news. It's not any easier for me in my neighborhood than it is for you. But God has put it on our hearts. Has God put one person on your heart today? Is there a person? Not the whole world, but a person, a family, a child, a young person, a relative, a neighbor, schoolmate, co-worker, a friend, living in your apartment building, wherever it is, is there one person God has put on your heart and 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 in, your, and in your heart you're saying, that person will never come to Christ. It's not even worth it. But God's put them on your heart. Are you willing? Are you willing to share the good news? It's good news. And you know, these lepers also did it for accountability. And we would be remiss... And we've got to find this balance. I know people don't necessarily like to talk about it. I don't like the thought either necessarily. But in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, and in verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. We talked about that. Verse 9, we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For, and he's talking to the church here. He's talking to Corinthians. These people, are in, these people are in the church, the body of Christ. This is during the transition time when the gospel is going to the Gentile world. But this is the body of Christ. He's talking to, to, to people like us at Corinth. And he says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There is this issue of accountability. It is a good thing. Listen, friends, accountability is a good thing. Would you really like to live your life not accountable to anybody, any law, any government, any person? What a mess our lives would be if we had no accountability. What a mess we would be. And the Bible says here, just as those lepers said, you know what? We understand we should be sharing this good news. And we also know we're going to have to be accountable, even though we're lepers to the king. Let's go do it. And so I'm asking myself first. I don't ask of you anything. I don't ask of myself. All you have to believe me on that. I'm telling you the truth. 
You know, it's, easy for, it's easy for us to say, yeah, why don't they invite people to church? Why don't they share the gospel? Why don't, they, why don't I? Why don't I? Why don't you? Why don't we? If God has put that one person on our heart, that one young person, that one friend, that one relative, why don't we ask God to help us? Each one. What was our mission conference theme? Each one. Huh? Reach one. E-1-R-1. Can you remember that? Can you remember four? Two letters and two numbers? E-1-R-1. Each one, reach one. That's our prayer for our church, for our family. And the Apostle Paul also tells us this. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I'll close with this. This is the Apostle. This is the great Apostle Paul who if anybody knew what a sinner he was, he says, I am the first, I am the chief, I am first in line. Verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from God. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, but pastor, you don't know how weak I am. You don't know how human I am. You don't know how frail I am. You don't know the things I'm struggling with. And every one of us, pastor, elders, brothers, sisters, we all can say the same thing. You don't know how human I am. You don't know how weak I am. I don't know how human you... Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because we are all like the Apostle Paul. God has put this treasure in a jar of not gold, not sterling silver, not iron, clay. Clay pots tend to crack. They sometimes are repaired. They are earthen. But there's a reason for it. Because if, it was a, if, if I were a jar of iron and gold, I know myself... Boy, I would be the first to brag about how great I am. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to bring the message of good news. There's a reason for it. And there's not one person here today who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and claims Him as their Savior today who has any right or any reason to say, God can't use me. Yes, He can. It was four out Casts who invited in the people of God to share in the good news. Let's close our service. We have a good song, Ellen, that's chosen for us today. They've all been great songs. Great. The songs we sing are all messages from God's Word. I want you to lift your voices and sing with joy and go out and celebrate the opportunity to live for God and serve Him with joy this week. Amen. Thank you so much. You know, we went to all this trouble to create more space up here on the stage, and it's so beautiful. And no matter how far forward we all come, the bass player always gets put back as far away as possible, like he's some kind of leper or something back there. (laughs) Thank you guys for leading, singing, and sharing with us today. Remember, take home with you today. Share the good news out of compassion. 
Out of accountability, you know, the, the, the servant didn't believe God's word, and the Bible's full of promises and people who, who felt God, God didn't mean what he said. God does mean what he said. God does mean what he says. And let's remember that we as messengers, we're just like the lepers. We're broken, cracked vessels of clay that God has poured his spirit in to bring the good news. Heavenly Father, what a joy to just be with your family today. And Lord, even today as we are here, if there be one person here uh, who has never received your forgiveness for sins, and I have to honestly say, I have not received Christ as my Savior. I have not received forgiveness for sins. Lord, I had asked that your Holy Spirit would work in their heart and open their heart to the truth, the simple truth of the gospel, that we are all sinners. We are all in need of salvation. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to earth, lived a life of sinlessness in his humanity, went to the cross of Calvary, and was punished for our sins and paid the price for our sins and became our sacrifice, rose from the dead, seated at the right hand of God today, and invites them to receive his payment for sins and receive eternal life. Impress this on their heart today and may they come to you and say yes to God. In Christ's name we've gathered and we leave this place all rejoicing and God's people can say together,